What if you could have eight powerful dates that could totally transform the most important aspects of your relationship with your partner? Whether you're in a new relationship and trying to figure out if someone's right for you, or have been with your partner for decades and maybe you're trying to figure out if they're still right for you, or just to connect more deeply, today's conversation will help jumpstart your curiosity and lead you into deep connection with your partner. More on that in a moment. First, just a quick reminder, the Relationship Alive podcast is my offering to you so that you can have the best relationship possible. We've been going on now for about three and a half years. And if you're finding the show to be helpful, there are a few things that you can do to help make an impact. The first and perhaps the most important thing is to share the podcast with your friends. Sharing in person, posting links on social media, these are all great ways to not only get the word out about Relationship Alive, but you also never know when someone might really need some relationship help, and you could be providing them with just the thing they need to feel supported or to help them take things in a new direction. Along those lines, if you're also able to take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Stitcher, that really helps others find the show when they're searching for good relationship podcasts and advice. And lastly, we couldn't keep this show going on without the support of our listener sponsors. Every penny counts. So to choose something that feels right for you, just visit neilsatin.com support or text the word support to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And thank you to all of you who have been showing your support by donating to the podcast. We're also going to have some special bonuses for you coming up in the months ahead. One of the things we're going to focus on in today's conversation is how to communicate with your partner about things that are near and dear to who you each are. Along with the words of wisdom of today's legendary guests, the Gottmans, I've also put together a guide of my top three relationship communication secrets. It's free for you, and by implementing these tips, you will be able to stay connected with your partner even when you're talking about something challenging. Just visit neilsatin.com relate or text the word relate to the number 33444 to download the guide. And finally, before we dive in, just a quick reminder that if you're on Facebook and haven't already joined us, please come find the Relationship Alive community, where there are more than 2,600 people gathered to create a safe space for conversations about you and your relationship. Okay, time to get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. One of the most important things that you can do for your relationship is something that we've talked about occasionally here on the show, which is to have a date night with your partner, to have something regular that's on the calendar that's about connecting and, and honoring your relationship. And yet there's more to it potentially than that. Certainly there's something good for just the regularity and the dedication, but what if you want to actually enhance your connection, enhance your understanding of your partner, and, and have a series of dates that actually lead you to someplace deeper, someplace more connected, and someplace that really gives you something 
to offer each other in terms of how you share your futures together. So it's not just more of the same, but it's a springboard to something even more rich in your connection. In order to find out more, we have the pleasure today of being joined by Dr. Julie Schwartz-Gottman and also Dr. John Gottman, who are the co-authors, along with Doug Abrams and Dr. Rachel Carlton Abrams, of the new book just out today, Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. They're here today to talk about this book and explore exactly why it's so important to come together with your partner with some intention to understand each other more deeply and not just for the purpose of bringing out the ways that you're the same, but in particular, coming to understand your differences. And we're going to get more into that in a moment. As usual, we will have a detailed transcript of this episode available for you. And when you download the transcript, you'll also be able to get two special bonuses. In conjunction with the Eight Dates book, the Gottmans are offering a free handout with 100 bonus conversation starters for you and your partner. And we're also going to tack on their Dreams Within Conflict exercise that walks you through a process that helps you discover the dreams that you have beneath the conflicts that you and your partner keep having. In order to download it, you can visit neilsatin.com slash Gottman4. That's Gottman and the number four. And uh, you can also just text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And that will also get you to a page where you can download the transcript for this week's episode with the Gottmans. So I think that's a good enough start. Without further ado, John and Julie Gottman, thank you so much for joining me today here on Relationship Alive. Thank you, Neil. Thanks, Neil. It's great to be here. And, you know, we were chatting briefly before we got started. Julie, it's especially a pleasure to have you here. You know, we've gotten to listen to John ramble on here and there, but it's nice to have you both here together. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your connection. And, and I know that my audience is really uh, excited to learn from the two of you together. Oh, thanks so much, Neil. That's really kind of you. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with maybe a, a softball question, which is, where where was this book born from, the, the eight dates, um, which each cover such an important area of relationship and, and a way to, to steer into knowing your partner more deeply? Mm. Well, uh, initially, what happened is that we were privileged to be part of a think tank about relationships and how to really support relationships nationwide. And we met our friends, Doug and Dr. Rachel Abrams, uh, at this think tank. And together, we were talking about how can we really help to deepen connection with couples through a book uh, that would really give people a fun way to connect with one another, give them different types of dates, different kinds of opportunities uh, to really get to know each other better, whether at the beginning of a relationship or all the way towards the end of a relationship uh, in age, any 
way we can enhance their connection, deepen their connection, so that people really keep up with who the other person is, how they're changing, how they're evolving over time. And so the four of us together um, sat and talked for days on end, recording everything, including our own personal dating experience, which was <laughs> kind of hilarious, especially before we met each other, uh, and really sharing stories as well as what kind of dates would particularly be great for relationships. And then we decided to do some research about it. Um, so we crafted 12 dates uh, and recruited 300 people. 300 um, couples. 300 couples. Yeah. Thanks, love. He's always accurate with the numbers. <laughs> um, to uh, take these dates and see what they thought about the dates, to really experience them. And then <coughs> we recorded their conversations. Uh, the dates that they had. And we learned that out of the 12, several of them were complete duds. They were terrible. People <laughs> were completely bored. You know, they ended the conversation after two and a half minutes <laughs> and then they went to the movies. So, um, but there were eight dates that in particular people really loved. And we created the book from those. Great, great. Yeah. And we're going to get into the, the stellar dates in a minute, but I'm curious, do you remember what any of those duds were? We had one date uh, that was just about work and how people felt about work. And that was, that was pretty boring. Right. We had to really reshape that date and change it. And by the way, we had about 37% of the couples, of the 300 couples, were brand new relationships. And, you know, so the dates were really very important for people in very new relationships to find out who they were dating and see if that relationship had any potential. But the overwhelming majority were couples who have been in relationships for some time. And they found it really did enhance their, you know, the quality of their intimacy. Yeah, what I really love about this book, um, among many things, was that it feels like, in many respects, it's a, it's a crash course in curiosity. And so whether you're in the initial stages of a relationship where you can kind of throw curiosity to the wind, it can sometimes feel like, you know, you're on that dopamine-fueled high of just, like, enjoying everything about your partner— or if you're, you know, 20 years into a relationship and you feel like you just know everything there is to know about your partner. Um, I love the way that this book gives people a structure to actually support deeper questions and, and, to, and to discover how there may be these places where they actually don't know each other in the case of a, of a long-term relationship. Or, yeah, I love that model for new people who are, who are getting to know each other to really have an an opportunity to flesh things out before they're deep, deep down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. You know, it, when you think about some of your earliest dates, you know, oftentimes they are so awkward. Everybody's on their best behavior. You've spent, you know, maybe six weeks planning what you're going to wear and you meet each other. You're nervous, you're awkward, you're anxious and that can last for a while, um, several dates in, perhaps. 
So people aren't quite sure how to proceed in getting to know each other and what aspects should they get to know about in terms of this individual when they're considering the possibility of having a long-term relationship. So, you know, what we really wanted to do was to help people with um, clear ideas about what fun things they could do in the setting of the date, and then give them, uh, again, these very particular questions to discuss together. And it's not it's not interrogation, you know, we don't have like the big shining light in the uh, partner's face as they're answering these questions. <laughs> and sweating. Um, instead, it's really people um, discussing them together and sharing at a deeper level what their values are, what their history is, what their needs are a bit. Um, nothing that makes them, you know, over the top vulnerable, but um, something more about where they really live inside as opposed to the more superficial aspects that people tend to focus on in the beginning. Yeah, I'm, and I noticed that you started, like date number one is with trust and commitment. And right. obviously this is an important topic in a, in a long-term relationship. And um, it's... It's one that I thought was curious. It wasn't, there wasn't much of a warm up there. It's like, here we are talking about these deep things. And, and particularly for a long term couple, they're, they're probably at a place, I would guess, where there have been a lot of assumptions about trust and commitment. There have potentially been um, betrayals of some sort, hopefully just minor ones. But I'm curious if you can set the stage for for that conversation in a way that um, that really helps keep people safe as they have the trust and commitment conversation? Mm. God, that's a wonderful question, Neil. Um, well, first of all, what we really understand about relationships after learning about relationships for over 40 years is that the one question that people have with their partners is, can I trust you? That is one yeah. of the most important questions. That's what they're focused on really right from the beginning. Yeah. And so, um, shoot, why not start where people really live? Mm. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that was part of our decision. And in terms of staying safe, you know, we're not asking, are you going to commit to me? Are you going to be somebody I can trust? It's not about that. It's more, how did your parents show that there was trust between them if in fact there was? Or if there was a lack of it, how did you see that? How did you witness that? What does trust mean to you? Is it important to you? Is it not? Is commitment important to you? Is it not? What makes it important to you? So again, you know, you're talking a little bit more in the abstract about uh, people's history that doesn't necessarily involve uh, maybe some mistakes they've made. They're talking about what they witnessed in their own life, what they experienced in their own life, uh, and sharing that with one another so that each partner can just kind of get a snapshot of uh, do uh, we both think about trust and commitment in the same way mm -hmm. 
or do we think about it very, very differently? And if so, does it make sense for us to proceed in our relationship? Yeah, that date, Neil, turned out to be the most powerful date of all the eight. And, mm. and couples liked it the most, too. So one of the things we did was we had some webinars with the couples in our, in our sample, and they could ask questions and give us feedback. And that date was really, really went deep. It was very powerful. And they were able to talk about other relationships they'd seen where people had violated trust and where people had really demonstrated that they weren't quite committed to the relationship. And the other person didn't know that. So they could talk about how to avoid disasters of trust, how to avoid in the future disasters of commitment. And you know what had been the history and the relationship of that, of showing that they were trustworthy, that they were committed. So it turned out to be a really uh, fascinating set of conversations that people had. And I don't think anybody felt alienated in that date from one another. They felt actually reassured and safer with their partner after this date. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to just point out to our listeners that your book does a great job also of setting the stage, not only for the date itself, but also for someone to ask themselves these questions first. So there's a certain amount of self-exploration that you do before you're out on the date so that you already are starting, are starting to, to get your own perspective on this and, and can bring that to your partner. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the beautiful things that I really love about this book. Um, you know, as you, as we all experience, Neil, we are so caught up in the minutia of our daily lives, in um, running from task to task to task, um, sometimes paying attention to the news, sometimes not, sometimes trying not to. Um, and at the same time, do we give ourselves, you know, those hours of really looking in the mirror and saying, who am I now? How has experience changed me? Yeah. What are my values now? What do I believe now? And so in a way, it's, um, as you pointed out, the book really gives the opportunity to meditate on who we are as individuals um, so that when we do come together in a date to share that, we can do so with more clarity um, and maybe humor, <laughs> <laughs> too. Yeah, um, I want to mention there was a, a study done at UCLA by the Sloan Center, and they put microphones and cameras in couples' homes, and they, they studied 30 dual-career couples in Los Angeles, and they had young children. And their lives had really become kind of an infinite to-do list, and they never went out on dates. They spent less than 10% of every evening in the same room with one another, and they talked to one another an average of 35 minutes a week. Wow. All that conversation was about who's going to do what when. Right. But they never had a date that was a romantic date that was that really built on intimacy. So they basically were carrying on with life and work and really ignoring their relationship. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit on a personal level, 
in terms because both of you are are very active uh, in your careers and um and have you had a family together? Um, how how have you managed um, honoring that commitment to date night? And is that something you had all along, or was it just kind of a discovery along the way? And you're like, we better do that. Like it's working for everyone else. It, we should we should do that too. Or how how have you nego- negotiated and navigated that for yourselves? Well, um, one of the things that we used to do uh, when we were living in Seattle, where uh, we are not currently, uh, but uh, we used to not have all that much money. John was a professor. I was a clinical psychologist, private practice. You know, we, um, we were spending money on schooling for our child. Uh, and so um, we discovered uh, the most beautiful hotel lobby in all of Seattle. There was this great hotel. And it had this gorgeous stone fireplace, dark lighting, beautiful soft couches. And we would go on our date night, commandeer a couch and not let anybody else sit there. And um, we would order one glass of wine and we would pretend we were guests in the hotel. (laughs) Sit and talk for hours and ask each other these big open-ended questions similar to the ones that we address in the dates. And John would always bring a yellow notepad to take notes about what I said, which was always a worry because it meant (laughs) I might show up in a book later on. And so, um, you know, it was kind of like, oh my God, I better watch my wording (laughs) here. so, you know, those were our initial dates, which were really, really fabulous. And now, you know, with our busy life, um, we are talking all the time because we work together. Mm-hmm. Um, we are talking on planes as we travel somewhere. We're talking over dinner. We're talking about work. We're talking about the news. We're talking, you know, constantly. So, yeah, but tell them about our annual honeymoon. And our annual honeymoon. Okay. So um, we found that because our schedule is so erratic, it's really, really hard to have a weekly date. We don't have a schedule like that because mm-hmm. we're always somewhere doing something. So um, when our daughter was about eight years old, she went away to camp for three weeks for the first year uh, during the summer and did so every year after that. For a while, and we decided, hey, she can go to camp. Let's go to camp too. <laughs> so we decided to take ourselves to camp, which was specifically this beautiful B and B up in Canada on one of the islands close to Vancouver, BC, called Salt Spring Island. And we would go there for about ten days and do nothing but talk. We would just talk. And we called it our annual honeymoon. And we've been doing it ever since, every year. We bring our kayak. Yep. And we ask each other three questions. What did you hate about last year? What did you love about last year? And what do you want next year to be like? Mm. And then we talk about that for 10 days. And really (laughs) graduate the year. And then make plans about how next year will be different. And the reason we always go to the same B&B, it's been 20 years now, is that there's a restaurant in this little town that serves schnitzel. 
which is Don's favorite, and he has schnitzel every single night for 10 nights. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not only the annual honeymoon, but the annual schnitzel fest. <laughs> That's good. Well, it's it, schnitzel every night, and then maybe the rest of the nights of the year, you get to indulge in other delights as well. Right. <laughs> John and Julie, we're going to take just a moment to talk about this week's sponsors, and they each have special offers for you as a Relationship Alive listener. I'm actually kind of chuckling to myself here because, honestly, you're going to want to read every part of the book that we're talking about, John and Julie's Eight Dates, because there's just so much value on each page. That being said, sometimes you don't need to read the whole book to get what matters most and grow and transform. And in those moments, our first sponsor is perfect for you. Their name is Blinkist. It could be challenging to be super growth oriented and do a lot of reading when we're overwhelmed with work and other aspects of life. It can be just tough to fit it all in during a day. However, the Blinkist app will help you take charge of your own growth and expand your knowledge in a way that fits into your busy life. Blinkist is the only app that takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. That way you can drop in and get the main points of the books quickly, which is a great way to feed your personal growth and development. With over 8 million users, Blinkist has a massive and growing library from self-help to business to health to history books. Blinkist has been perfect for me. I read so many books for the show, but Blinkist has been a great way for me to take a quick but deep dive into a different book, especially if it's something that interests me, but I don't have the time to commit to reading the whole thing because it's not for the show. So when I want to read a business book or something about politics or just get to know a book better so I can decide whether or not I want to pursue it more directly and read the whole thing, I turn to Blinkist. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for you. Go to Blinkist.com alive to start your free seven-day trial. You can check out all the books that you've been wanting to read at a fraction of the time. Again, that's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash alive to start your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash alive. Our second sponsor is Native Deodorant, and they also have a great offer for you. Now, you might be surprised at just how much time Chloe and I have put into finding a deodorant that not only works, but that doesn't have any harsh ingredients or overpowering fragrances. We like to smell each other. We just don't want to smell bad. That's where Native comes in. Their products are filled with ingredients you can find in nature, like coconut oil, which is an antimicrobial, or shea butter to moisturize, or tapioca starch to absorb wetness. They don't ever test on animals. They don't use aluminum or any other scary chemical ingredients. And they're so confident that you'll like their deodorant that they offer free shipping and returns. Now, Chloe has actually been using their unscented deodorant for a while. And I also recently decided to give it a try. 
I wanted to really put it to the test. So, and hopefully this isn't too much information. I put it on after having gone a day without wearing any deodorant or showering. I just wanted to see how it would do, okay? And so not only did it neutralize everything on the spot, it was still working hours and hours later when it was time to go to bed. Did I mention that this was the unscented version? So I didn't even cover it up with anything. Though I am curious about some of their other scents like coconut and vanilla or cucumber and mint. It is such a relief to find something that not only works when I'm fresh out of the shower, but also can help me out after an absent-minded day when I somehow forgot to apply deodorant when I got dressed in the morning. And Chloe has been raving about how amazingly native deodorant has been working for her too. And my son, well, he just turned 12, so it's probably just a matter of time before some native deodorant lands on his bathroom shelf too. And, as I mentioned, Native Deodorant has a special offer for you to give them a try. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com alive and use the promo code alive during checkout. That's 20% off your first purchase by visiting nativedeodorant.com alive and using the promo code alive when you check out. And thank you both, Native and Blinkist, for your support of stellar, growth-oriented, sweet-smelling relationships. Now, let's get back to our conversation with John and Julie Gottman. Um, well, I did want to mention that Maine has some lovely places to kayak. So if you're ever in this neck of the woods, make sure you bring your, your kayak with you. Yeah, we would love that. Yeah. And, you know, and Rachel and Doug... Uh, also found that when Rachel was in medical school and doing her residency, that date night was just absolutely essential for, for maintaining the relationship and not ignoring it, not making it the last thing on a very long to-do list. So they kept passion and romance alive that way and also emotional connection. So date night has been important for all four of us. Yeah, and I like the idea too, like when I envision um, Doug and Rachel's story, which you know they talk about in the book, and, and I love that, that we get a window into your lives together. Um, I think that's, you know, maybe we'll even talk about that a little bit. I think it's so curious for everyone, right? Where they're like, well, they have all the answers, but what's their life really like? You know, are right. they really doing all this stuff? Um, so it's helpful to, to hear and I also like this this idea that if you've prioritized it and and you've shown in so many ways how important it is, um, families with young kids, families who are, you know, a relationship who's getting older and, and why it's important to honor each other that way and the connection that way. Um, yeah, I can imagine people triangulating and just being like, all right, this is important. We're committed to how important it is. And this is the one hour that we have in a week where we can find ourselves in this in the same place at the same time without all those other responsibilities and and being willing to be to be committed in that way to to the process with each other mm -hmm. um you know i realize we haven't gone really beyond that trust and commitment chapter in our conversation but i i'm i'm also thinking about um, you mentioned the the anecdote of John working with a couple 
um, who he has this realization that they're just they they were never even really committed to each other. They'd always had a foot out the door, and and when they f- got that reflected back at them, that became an opportunity for them to reflect on what commitment really was. And as much as they thought they were committed, were they truly committed to each other? Um, which is probably one reason why that first date is so powerful for people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that couple, you know, every time they had an argument or things got stressful, they, they were each thinking, you know, I can do better than my partner. They were, they were thinking about their exit strategy. Yeah. That, you know, what can I do to get closer and more committed? How can I get, get past this period that's stressful? Yeah, I think you mentioned that as like a, a harbinger of of doom in uh, you know not your classic four horsemen of the ap- apocalypse, but the uh, the negative comparisons and how that the impact that that has. Can you talk about that a little bit so that our listeners understand what that means? Sure. Um, there was a fabulous researcher uh, who studied the uh, antecedents to betrayal. What is it that led up to people having affairs? And what she discovered is that, in particular, an individual in a relationship would always be comparing his or her partner to some better alternative, another person who they thought was better than the partner they currently had. And we call that a negative comparison or a negative comp. And we found in our own research that when people continually make those negative comparisons, always finding their partner wanting, always seeing the negative side of their partner rather than being grateful and cherishing what their partner does provide for them, then that often leads to crossing the lines into developing relationships with someone else perhaps beginning with a friendship and then perhaps deepening them into a possible betrayal, whether it's an emotional affair or a physical affair or both. Uh, And so uh, the whole idea of not making negative comparisons with uh, your partner and someone else, but instead trying to see the good in what your partner is, who they are, what they do give you, what they are um, beautiful in, uh, is a way to really keep the relationship stable, keep the relationship loving, warm, really a treasure for you. Yeah. Yeah, Another thing that uh, this researcher, her name is Carol Rusbult, R-U-S-B-U-L-T, Carol Rusbult found was that when when conflict happened, these couples, instead of giving voice to their complaints and talking about their needs, would talk to somebody else about how miserable they were in the relationship and confide in someone else, not in their partner. And so part of what this book talks about is one of the dates is about how to deal with conflict. And the other thing about the book is that it tries to teach the skills of managing conflict well in the relationship. And having intimate conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering, um, just to just a quick little footnote on the negative comps, is that is that an intervention that you suggest? So if I'm someone who notices, oh, I do that all the time, I'm always, 
compare thinking uh, if I just were with so and so or the grass is greener or, and I could even see that being a bit of an addiction for people you know and I'm using that term loosely but that kind of like oh I could just escape this and w- yeah, what is a way a mi- that mm-hmm. go ahead it's kind of a mindset mm-hmm. yeah there, there's two two things that need to be changed uh, with a couple where Great. that's going on. One is that uh, the individual who's making the negative comps needs to be thinking about what do they need that is not being met in the relationship and bring that up with their partner, not talk to somebody else, as John mentioned, but to bring it up with their partner to really think about, okay, what's missing for me? What is it that I'm feeling? Am I feeling lonely? Am I feeling uh, starved for affection? Uh, Am I feeling criticized or put down all the time? You know, what is it that they need? And taking taking their need and expressing it uh, in a positive way. We call this expressing a positive need, which means if something feels bad, flip it on its head to think, okay, what do I want in place of that negative thing? For example, if you feel criticized all the time, I would love to hear appreciations from you. I would love to hear some compliments from you about uh, how funny I am or how I look or you know, what a great human being I am in general, of course. Um, so, Flipping that need on its head and giving a positive need to it. What is it you do need rather than don't want or need? That's one thing. The other thing is looking at your partner with different eyes. And this, again, takes a whole mental shift. What is my partner doing right? Hmm. Not what what are they always doing wrong, but what are they doing right? You know, for example... John and I have been together for 32 years and every single morning he makes me coffee. Anybody who makes me coffee is my hero (laughs) for, you know, life upon life. And so John has been doing that every single morning and he makes the best coffee in the world. And so I always thank him every morning for making coffee, seeing the good, I could take it for granted and say nothing, but that's that's not helpful in a relationship. And I do appreciate it. Yeah, you do. Right. Well, so, you know, uh, you can think about uh, the fundamental problem in relationships is that we are actually attracted to people who are very different from us. And that's why the dating websites are really have a broken system of matchmaking. Because mm. they're match- matching people and saying, if you... If you date somebody who's just like you, you're going to really like each other. But, you know, it really doesn't work. Okay, Cupid, for example, will pair 50,000 people and 200 marriages result from that pairing. So they're 96% ineffective <laughs> to meet who like each other. So, you know, it turns out we really like people who are not like us. We don't want our clone. And then, you know, when we're attracted to this person, you know, we have this asymmetry. But we have to act as a couple. We have to create symmetry. And the worst way to do that is to try to get your partner to be like you, to try to criticize your partner for not being like you. 
And that's the fundamental problem in relationships. That's not the way to do it. You know, really, you have to accept your partner, partner for who they are. You know, and they are different and cherish those differences. Julie, for example, is very different from me. She was a downhill skiing racer in college. She went downhill 50 miles an hour. Her idea of, of her dream was to go to Mount Everest base camp uh, number two with 10 other women. And I'm very different. My, my dream was to study differential equations. <laughs> I sat in my chair to do that. And so, you know, she's an athlete and an explorer, and I'm just the opposite. I call myself an endorsement. You know? <laughs> so we have these really big differences. But, you know, the ways in which she's different from me really are quite wonderful. And I love them and cherish them. And, you know, if, if she, on the other hand, said, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you have more of a sense of adventure like me? You know, then she'd be trying to turn me into her, which really doesn't work. And if she was successful in turning me into her, she wouldn't be attracted to me. And the other side of that is that John has failed miserably in trying to make me either a mathematician or a physicist. <laughs> so, you know, we accept each other's differences. Right. I do listen uh, to John when he describes some latest discovery in physics and math. I try desperately to understand. I don't, but I nod my head. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so we Well, you actually work. do understand a lot. Okay. So we make a word. We make a word. I, I want to point out that at the back of your book, you have lots of great um, suggestions for people to help them identify ways they actually do cherish their partner. So, you know, if you're listening and thinking, well, I've kind of lost touch with that, or, you know, it's just like I can appreciate them for the same old thing. I've been appreciating their coffee making for 32 years, but I'm not sure what else to appreciate then it, it can be helpful to have some prompts in that regard to help you reflect upon all the different ways that, that your partner shows up for you. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, because this is another, in a way, a prerequisite for the, for the book, although I have a feeling that as you go through each of the dates, you will cultivate this as well. And, and the question is making the mental shift around developing understanding and embracing your differences the way you were just talking about versus versus that sense of like judging your partner's differences um it's it's one thing to say like listen to your partner without judging them and then it's a can be a totally different thing to actually put that into practice right uh, so you're asking, how do you work on accepting your partner's differences? Yeah. Yeah. What is, what is that? Um, well, I think I'm just highlighting it for one thing because it's so key to how to have these conversations, I think is just to realize like, I'm just trying to understand this person who's mm -hmm. sitting across from me, um, mm -hmm. or next to me. Um, you know, that's, that's really a, a wonderful question. Um, we have a particular way of people doing that, which is, uh, first of all, asking each other things like, um, what's the history in your family about that particular characteristic or value mm -hmm. that you have? Where does that come from for mm -hmm. you? You know, what's, what's the background to that that led you to either value this particular way of being or 
uh, has led you to love, you know, this particular dream. Um, so asking about background is important. Also asking things like, well, what does it mean to you to have, you know, this particular passion or this particular love or this particular characteristic? Is there some underlying purpose to living by this value? Um, what does it mean to you? So, you know, you're, you're carving out a kind of a subterranean region um, where you're discussing both more personal history that may be good, maybe not so good, as well as the, the more existential piece of who you are, um, how you've arrived at some particular set of values or characteristics uh, that have meaning and purpose for you. Now, you know, the other thing, though, is that there's always going to be either lifestyle preferences or um, just personality mm -hmm. characteristics that you don't know where they come from. They don't have particular meaning, um, but uh, they are who your partner is. And so it's not it's not necessarily that you're going to absolutely love and cherish those differences. They might drive you crazy. You know, John and I have characteristics like that. He calls himself charmingly sloppy, and I'm obsessively needs. You know, a little OCD. <laughs> okay, so that's a big difference, right? So I'm not going to adore the fact that, you know, there might be piles of books everywhere. However, however, um, you create almost... Mm, ways of coping with those differences that are not necessarily conflict. You know, they're simply, okay, John, it's been four weeks. Um, I'm now uh, at risk of my life when I make the bed because the pile of books next to the bed is so high that I may trip over them and, you know, be buried in an avalanche. So can you please move the books? You know, it kind of looks like that. So you right. accept those differences uh, in each other, um, and cherish the ones that, you know, really have some purpose and meaning to mm -hmm. them. Um, yes. And the, and the very second date night that you talk about is how you, uh, how you work with conflict. Exactly. And, uh, probably no chance. No, it's not just a, uh, a total happenstance that that comes second after trusting and commitment. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, because that is what most couples struggle with. Um, we are a culture that has a lot of trouble expressing emotion. Um, we've all been taught that, for example, it's not okay for men to express fear, sorrow, vulnerability, anxiety. Fine for them to express anger. But... You know, the more vulnerable emotions, not so much. And women are taught that they're horrible human beings, you know, with the B word, if they express anger. Right. So um, how then do you have conflicts where there are these constraints and fences around what you express or don't express? So what we believe is that it's incredibly important for people to express all of their emotions 
um, whether it's anger or sorrow or frustration. But um, that chapter in particular really focuses on how do you express those emotions, especially if they're negative ones, and how do you respond to them with empathy when you hear them rather than just defensiveness, which, you know, takes you down the wrong path. That's that chapter. Yeah, we've learned that behind every one of these negative emotions, there is a longing. And in that longing, mm -hmm. there is a need and a recipe for solving the conflict. So we have blueprints that we can offer that make conflict really constructive. So it doesn't alienate people. It actually brings them closer together and creates that understanding that you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, that reminds me of the, the, I think it's the dreams within conflict exercise that we've, we've mentioned here on the show before. And, and, and I think if it's okay with the two of you, I'll, I'll offer it here as well, that if you, if you download the transcript for this episode, we can also include that dreams within conflict exercise, which touches, uh, maybe not ironically, two of the dates. It, it touches that conflict um, piece, but also... Um, the very last date is all focused on your dreams and, and what you aspire to as individuals. And um, that it just feels like such a powerful addition um, I, because I want everyone to know who's listening. It's not like, it's not all like trust and commitment and um, addressing conflict. You get those out of the way. The very next one is being able to talk about sex and intimacy and, and in there is, is play and fun and, and how you foster that in your relationship too. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Right. So, you know, a lot of people think that, well, if you solve all of your conflicts, your relationship is going to be just dandy. But we found in our research that that really wasn't true, that you do have to focus on how do you create more positive experience in the relationship. You know, we all work so darn hard uh, that we forget how important fun is, how important play is, how important a sense of adventure is. And the fact that we can share those with each other is part of, you know, the wonder, the beauty of having a terrific, committed relationship. You've got a playmate. You've got somebody you can do all of that with. You can have wonderful sex. You can have intimacy. But you have to be able to talk about what it is that you love, what brings a sense of adventure and fun to you, uh, ways that you would prefer to have intimate connection. How do you want to do that? What's going to feel great for you? So it's very important to be talking about all of that as well. That's part of this book. Yeah, and I, I love too how... Uh, because the focus is on developing that shared understanding with that, as opposed to like trying to make your partner like you or trying to just figure them out so you can get, get past all your conflicts somehow. Um, I think what it actually does is it opens up this huge resource for you of, of energy and, and ways that you can bring more variety and connection into your life. Like each of these dates strikes me as like a, a, a seed for so many different other experiences that could come from that understanding that you're building with your partner. Mm, exactly. That's a lovely way to say it. I'm wondering if, 
and you can say no, you can pass on this question if you like, but I'm wondering if you'd each be willing to share what you think the most valuable skill for you has been in in your relationship. Like what what is the thing that, and, and I'm sure there's more than one thing, but when you think about like what being together for 32 years has been like, what has been something that you fall back on, something that not only is reliable for you in terms of helping you in your connection, but also you, you've had to maybe revisit it again and again as like being reminded like, oh yeah, this is something I'm working on and, and I have to bring that, that attention to my own work and growth in order to make this connection work. Mm, I love that question. Um, I'll start, yeah? Yeah, <laughs> Okay, so um, I think what I've had to work on the most <clears throat> is kindness, without question. Um, mm. Kindness and... Um, Keeping in my mind a fixed picture of who my husband is. So, uh, you know, I'm a person who really reacts quickly to things, impulsively to things. Uh, I would have been a great emergency doc. Responsible stuff and can respond well or perhaps not so well uh and so i've really had to work on uh my tone of voice uh what words i use um patience um and remembering that uh, you know i've had this vision i'm going to embarrass john now neil uh -oh. but uh yeah but you know i really see john as a genius and you can't say anything. And um, when you are living with somebody with the kind of mind that he has, um, then there's, you know, there's going to be unbelievable gifts that you get to share as that person shares their ideas, shares their creativity. Uh, and all of those gifts, I have been privileged uh, to experience with John. And so when he's not perfect, you know, when he doesn't clean the counter the way I want him to see, there's the OCD, um, you know, the books pile up or whatever. Um, it's like, okay, he's writing a grant or okay, he's working on a book. Uh, and he's completely immersed in that. Okay. He gets up at three o'clock in the morning because he's just had an idea come to him and he's got to go write it down and he's going to wake me up with a flashlight in my face. You know, <laughs> it's, it's that's the way it is. And, you know, again, the privilege and the honor of living with somebody with whom I will never, ever be bored, ever, is such a gift that, ah, the little stuff is trivial. And so I keep that impression and image of who John is in my mind as a fixed, fixed, uh, uh, picture and, uh, remember the gifts of that and try like crazy to be kind and to be patient. And believe me, I do not succeed a lot of the time, but, and thank God he's patient with me. <laughs> Thank okay. you for your honesty about that, Julie. 
Right. <laughs> well, my big problem is defensiveness. And, you know, I have to learn over and over again that, you know, when Julie is feeling something very strongly, it's time for the world to stop and me to listen without being defensive. Even if she disappointed in me or angry with me or I've done some, something to upset her. And, you know, I do a lot of things that are thoughtless and, you know, often I ignore her uh, because I'm so involved in a paper I'm writing or something like that. And when I concentrate, a lot of times I don't hear her calling my name even because you know, I really literally don't hear it. Mm. So I do things that really hurt her and I need to listen. And for me, that's very hard you know, because uh, the first thing I'm thinking is, you know, why is she no, so negative? You know, <laughs> just appreciate, you know, everything I do and, you know, and just come to me when she's really happy. So I had to learn, you know, I, you know, when she's upset about something, I, the world needs to, needs to stop and I need to listen without being defensive and trying to understand what she's feeling. And usually that, when I can do that, it rapidly diffuses the situation. She feels hurt, listened to and understood. Even if I've hurt her, you know, we can repair the relationship and figure out what to do. So that's my constant struggle, I think. Mm, and do you have a, a particular way that you remind yourself of that when you're when you feel the defensiveness come coming on? I carry a notebook in my back pocket, and I take it out, and I take out my pen, and and I tell her, "Okay, I'm listening. Slow down. Let me write down everything you're saying." And as I'm writing, I get less defensive. Mm. I'm thinking, boy, why does she have to go into that? What's wrong with this woman? And then as, as I'm writing, I go, well, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, yeah, she's right there. You know, and pretty soon I'm really paying attention and listening. So for me, having that notebook and writing down what she says and slowing her down really helps me to be less defensive. Mm, I love that. And that... That really reminds me too of of your dates together and and the notebook that comes right. along on the dates. So I could see it kind of being a little reminder of like, right, we have we have a a connection that transcends this whatever it is that's causing conflict right now. Yeah, I probably have about four hundred notebooks that I've filled <laughs> in the thirty two years <laughs> together, and they're all piled on my bureau. And I'm going to burn them. <laughs> <laughs> Won't that be a lovely ritual for the two of you? <laughs> well, uh, John and Julie, uh, it's been such a treat to have you here with us today on Relationship Alive. Your new book, Eight Dates, Essential Conversations for a Lifetime of Love, is so rich and, and I think obviously has a lot to offer couples no matter where they're at in relationship and I think even if you're single going through the sort of the prep work questions would be really helpful as a way of just understanding who you are and and how you operate in relationship uh, you can also visit gottman.com to find out more about Julian John's work um, the work they're doing through the Gottman Institute and they're going to be on a book tour to support the eight dates book 
traveling all over the country. So you may be able to catch them in your community. And I definitely encourage you, if they're anywhere nearby, go check them out. You'll have a chance to ask questions, I'm sure. And uh, as you can tell, uh, they're delightful people. So I, I encourage you to go and find them when they're in your, in your neck of the woods. Um, other than that, if you want the transcript to today's episode, neilsatin.com slash Gottman4. And as you might get, that's because uh, we've had John on a few times before. So you can do, go to Gottman, Gottman2, Gottman3, and you can, you can get your, your dose of Gottman. Um, and it's so sweet, Julie, to have you here with us as well. I've loved your, uh, your contribution today in this conversation. Um, thank you so much both for joining us and I look forward to having you here again on Relationship Alive. Thank you so much, Neil. It was really fun. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.